Well, good morning as each and every one of us participates in this Christmas Advent season, a season of longing and waiting and anticipation, and I'm so encouraged to see your faces and to join with you in our voices and our choir and our orchestra and our music leadership for all that we get to do in order to celebrate and sing about the joy of the Son and our Savior. So excited to introduce uh, the phase two of today's uh, kind of messages where we're talking about revealing Christmas. We're talking about revealing Christmas in a couple of different dimensions or way. The who, the what, the when, the where, and the why. And last week we talked about who is the principal actor in this drama. Of course, it's Jesus. And we talked about how he's the one that we've been waiting for and that he is the king who is coming and that today... We're looking into what happened at Christmas. In order to do that, I want to share with you a story. It's a story of someone that's somewhat familiar to the Peachtree family. This is a picture of Rebecca McLaughlin with her husband on this day, on their wedding day, Brian. They met in England and both overeducated people and uh, as they took that education to the United States and into New Horizons, she combined her seminary degree with her literature degree and who knew that she would become one of the principal apologists or evangelists in the United States of explaining the Christian faith and helping people to understand the intellectual credibility of the Christian faith. But you know, all of that goes out the window when you start your own family. And so here's this evangelist, and she's reading the Christmas story to her daughter, who I think is about five years old at this point, a daughter who has been raised in church and raised in, you know, the Christian faith and has heard all of this stuff you would think over and over again. And so she's holding her daughter, and she's reading the Bible out loud to her, the Christmas story, and her daughter takes a deep breath and says, well, I don't believe any of that. And her mother said, you know, well, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe in Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus went to the cross? Yes, I believe Jesus went to the cross. Do you believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave? I believe that as well. And she says, what don't you believe? She goes, that's not how babies are made. (laughs) And so here was this little five-year-old girl in the home of an apologist evangelist who was struggling with what happens at Christmas. That what happens at Christmas is what we refer to as the virgin birth. I grew up in a small liberal Presbyterian church, and I remember one particular occasion when I was asked to stand up as a student before the congregation and to read the book of Isaiah. Not the whole thing, but the part at Christmas that lends itself to the point where it talks about the virgin shall conceive and bear a child. And after I finished reading that, the pastor got up to preach and turned to me and turned to the whole congregation and said, don't worry, you don't have to believe it like that. What happened at Christmas was the virgin birth. And with all respect to my childhood pastor, I do think you need to believe it. And here's how it goes. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they had came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. 
because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Sometimes when we translate the New Testament, we do a disservice to the emotional state of the people who were involved. If Joseph would have picked an emoji for his state of mind when he heard that Mary was pregnant, this would have been the emoji that he would have picked. Joseph is spitting mad. He is fuming. We miss the nuance, but in the original language, Matthew uses the same emotional state to describe Joseph as he does to describe Herod when Herod finds out that the wise men trick him and don't tell him where the baby Jesus is. He's angry. Much has made it our Christmas time, and for good reason, as we talk about the virgin birth, it's one of the most depicted moments in all of art. There are so many different portrayals of the Annunciation, and yet I'm here to tell you today that while that is an incredible miracle, what is often an overlooked miracle that coincides with that miracle is the dream that God gives in through an angel to Joseph. That yes, the Holy Spirit comes to Mary to give her new life, and, and yet he comes to Joseph to give him new love. And that these two miracles hold together, and that without one, there isn't the other. Let me see if I can explain. Have you ever stopped long enough to ponder what on earth was Mary doing going to Bethlehem? I mean, women in their third trimester don't tend to travel too far from home. They certainly don't tend to do that when it's 100 miles away and that donkey is the primary form of transportation. You certainly don't do this when pregnancy was incredibly dangerous for a young woman back then. This is 31 hours of travel by foot or by donkey. And that the people who had the knowledge and the support to be able to help you were the people in your own family and in your own village. We also know that by law, Mary was not required to be there for the census because they were not married yet. And so, why on earth was she going to Bethlehem? What would possess her to do such a long in dangerous journey? And the answer is short. It was more dangerous for her to stay. 
Let me read to you from Deuteronomy 22. If, however, the charge is true and no proof of the young woman's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. She has done an outrageous thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge the evil from among you. Mary and Joseph are from a very small community in a very conservative portion of the Jewish faith. And the only thing, the only thing standing between that law being carried out against Mary is the faithfulness and the love and the protection of Joseph. All of this is to say is that the virgin birth at Christmas is not some misunderstanding of an Old Testament prophecy. It is the backdrop of the whole story. And what the virgin birth means at Christmas is that it is not initiated by us and that it is not confined to our expectations. In other words, God does not take the natural order and just rearrange a few things. God is doing a new creation. Let me show this to you in an unusual way. I'm going to put the original Greek of the opening chapter in a few verses spilling over into chapter 2. You cannot read this because it is not in your native language. You cannot read this because the font is really small. What you probably can see is that there are many words on the screen that are in red. What we miss when we translate this into English is that the root word for geneseo or genesis is a word that repeats over and over and over and over again in the opening chapter of Matthew. So many times on the screen, I haven't even bothered to count how many times that is. And so somebody hearing the original Christmas story would have heard over and over again, this is a new Genesis, this is a new Genesis, this is a new Genesis, this is a new creation. And that can't be something that we do, it's only something that God can do. And that if you're trying to conceive of this story, pun intended, If you're trying to conceive of this story and do so within the categories of what your own thoughts are like, you're going to miss it. And we dare not be so modernly condescending. Do you think Mary didn't know how babies were made? Do we think that Joseph didn't know how babies were made? Do we think that Matthew, the gospel writer, didn't know how babies were? Do you think that God doesn't know how babies are typically made? This is a new genesis, and it's a creation beyond our wildest dreams. I never thought that the illustration that I'm about to share with you next would be controversial. But last year, this book, On Beyond Zebra, by Dr. Seuss, fell on hard times. I want to say as an aside, as I'm about to read from this book, make a footnote, write a new preface, 
Change a little bit of art to update it if you need to, but canceling and banning books does a grave disservice to real injustice and real racism that is out there. And that Dr. Seuss's on Beyond Zebra is not the threat. But I can't think of a better portrayal of understanding how this is beyond our categories than this book. And you know where I learned of this book? I learned it from Vic Pence. That somewhere on his shelf with Augustine and Bart and Calvin was this book to help to understand the mystery of the virgin birth. Said Conrad Cornelius O'Donnell O'Dell, my very young friend who is learning to spell, the A is for ape and the B is for bear, the C is for camel and the H is for hare, the M is for mouse and the R is for rat. I know all 26 letters like that. Through to the zebra, which is the Z, I know them all well, said Conrad Cornelius O'Donnell O'Dell. So now I know everything anyone knows from beginning to end, from the start to the close, because Z is as far as the alphabet goes. And then he almost fell flat on his face on the floor when I picked up the chalk and drew one letter more, a letter he had never dreamed of before. And I said, you can stop if you want with the Z because most people stop with the Z, but not me. In the places I go, there are things that I see that I never could spell if I stopped with the Z. I'm telling you this because you're one of my friends. My alphabet starts where your alphabet ends. You'll be sort of surprised what there is to be found once you go beyond Z and start poking around. And so on Beyond Z, it's high time you were shown that they really don't know they're all that there is to be known. The places I took him, I tried hard to tell young Conrad Cornelius O'Donnell O'Dell, a few brand new wonderful words that he might spell. I led him around and I tried hard to show that there are things beyond Z that most people don't know. I took him past Zebra as far as I could, and I think that perhaps maybe I did him some good. Because finally he said, this is really great stuff. I guess that old alphabet just isn't enough. If you and I are confining our lives to just the alphabet of A to Z, we do not leave room for the wonder and the majesty and the mystery that there are realities beyond what we can taste and see and touch and smell, and that God enters in through creation in an unprecedented way because the virgin birth means that Christmas is not initiated by us and it cannot be contained to our categories and our expectations. God is doing a new thing. And that means that it's new creation beyond our wildest dreams. And if you take the virgin birth out of the Christmas story, it just becomes one more attempt at us just trying to explain away the mystery of the wonder of an almighty God. I'll close with the story of President Ronald Reagan in 1982. 
when his wife and his family were grieving because his incredible father-in-law, I'll show you in a picture here, who was a neurosurgeon, Nancy's beloved father, who had healed so many people, now found himself on the precipice of death. Part of the reason that they were grieving is anticipating the loss, but the other part of their grieving was that this doctor and father-in-law, Dr. Loyal Davis, was adamant against the Christian faith. He even wrote one time these words, I have never been able to subscribe to the divinity of Jesus Christ nor His virgin birth. I don't believe in His resurrection or heaven or hell as places. And so in the most powerful office in the world, with the busiest schedule that you could possibly imagine in the height of the Cold War, Ronald Reagan wrote these words to his father-in-law. Dear Loyal, I hope you'll forgive me for this, but I've been wanting to write you ever since we talked on the phone. I'm aware of the strain you were under and believe with all my heart that there is help for that. It was a miracle that a young man of 30 years without credentials as a scholar or a priest had more impact on the world than all the teachers and scientists and emperors and generals and admirals who'd ever lived all put together. And either he was who he said he was or he was the greatest faker and charlatan who ever lived. But would a liar and a faker suffer the death that he did? He quoted John 3.16, and then he continued, We have been promised that all we have to do is to ask God in Jesus' name to help us when we have done all that we can. And when we've come to the end of our strength and abilities, and we'll have that help, we only have to trust and to have faith in His infinite goodness and mercy. President, Ronald Reagan. The letter was found amongst Nancy's personal items and is now at the Reagan Library. And while we don't know for sure, Nancy believes that this letter helped her father get to a place of saving faith. What about you? And the skepticism and the cynicism and the confinement of a reality and an alphabet that is way too narrow, are you willing to go on beyond zebra? Are you willing to enter into the mystery and the wonder and the beauty and the majesty of the Christmas miracle that is the virgin birth? Are you willing to push past the disbelief? Of course you know that's not how babies are made. And that's the point, that this is a birth of infinite and eternal value coming to us. That's 
what happened at Christmas. And I think you need to believe it. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this new creation, this new Genesis. Thank you for the incredible revelation of your Son and our Savior who comes in the most unconventional and unexpected of ways. Help us, O God, to push past our skepticism and anger and feelings. Help us to not only see the miracle of the life you've entrusted with us, but also the love of Joseph that protects. God, in the midst of the many miles that they journeyed together, thank you for surrounding them with that love and helping us to realize that you were doing something special and new that is beyond all of our categories. Lord, I pray for anybody here who feels like Dr. Loyal Davis and help us to hear once again the invitation that remains open through our whole life of what is available to us if we put our faith in you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people's sake.